everyone. This is episode 29 of High Fantasy, member of the Broken Jars Network. We're almost to 30. Yeah. Nice. Has anyone been productive since 28? Uh, since 28. That was what yeah, was. the last episode. Uh, actually, two weeks ago. Actually, two weeks ago. I was about to say it was actually. <laughs> uh, yes. I, I didn't get a lot done this week, but last week I got a fair amount done. So. I rewrote thought a lot. <laughs> I rewrote the first, like, 2,000 words to something and um, got my art done for reservation. So the novella will have some art. That's cool. I thought about starting to work on things, and I remembered all my problems and got discouraged. <laughs> For like days on end. That's the worst. Like you're just like, oh, fuck. It's like I really want to do something and be productive. Which part will I start on? Nothing, because everything <laughs> is a problem. Yeah. Sometimes it just helps of... to find any moment that you think you have and just write something. I'm still stuck on the planning. On yeah. every single thing I could think of. It's just like, fuck, I need to figure that out too. Yeah, I've been trying to like think of new story ideas because I've been kind of rotating around the same couple for a long time now. So I want to get my mind onto something new. So I'm not sure like what I, where I want to go, what I want to do. Like I had an idea a long time ago that I never did anything with because I didn't think I could do it, but it was to basically write a 1984-like <laughs> book, except from, or a Star Wars-like book, for, you know, from the side of Big Brother or the Empire where they think they're the good guys. <laughs> but through the story, you, you, re, you reveal that they're actually the bad guys. But it would be hard to do without actually coming out and saying it. it would, you'd have to be really passive. So I don't know how that would work exactly. Yeah, the, it's, it does seem to be kind of tricky, and you'd have to be able to execute something pretty fine. Like, are they going to be doing villainy things the whole time? Um... I, I think you would probably allude to the villainy things, but, you know, it's the people over there, they're evil because they do X, Y, and Z, and we're good because we do A, B, C, or whatever. I but mean, the more those things get revealed, the more you realize that those people over there are actually the people, like the rebels who are trying to overthrow the... the yeah, the terrorists have a point, essentially. <laughs> I mean, you could, that could work. Yeah. Anything yeah. can work. Yes. It's true. Just, do I? I mean, I might have the ability to do it now, but when I had this idea, I was like, <laughs> seven, eight years ago, long, maybe longer. So I was like, mm, definitely don't have the ability now <laughs> when I first had the idea. Well, I think we're avoiding our topic like we did last <laughs> time when we were trying to get to it, but the middle, the middle of writing things and books in general. The part where you've already hooked your reader 
And now you've got to keep him entertained until you get to the end that he wants to see. Yeah. The part where if you know the beginning and you know the end, you need to somehow bridge between them. And that's when you're going to have a lot of plot holes or risks of plot holes and and the kind right. of what you gotta, now. Mm-hmm. You got to make the character grow because, you know, he's got to he she has to learn something. Um or gain the ability to beat the big bad, whatever that big bad might be. And you also got to do some world building, character building, or the characters are going to feel hollow. There's a lot going on in those middle 30,000 words. A few trail, trail, try-fail cycles in there. and Yeah. I'm terrible at it. Like, I'm it's getting hard. I'm to the point where I can do some openings, like where I can just be like, all right, here we go. You know, um, 10, 15,000 words, not too hard for the opening. Write the ending, not too bad. But getting getting through the middle is tough. And that's where we are in Andromeda's Love. And, like, we've been stuck at, like, 37,000 words for, like, two months. <laughs> yeah, at this point, I like I won't start writing until I have my outline figured out enough. Because I can write the opening 10,000 words fine, and then I hit my problems, <laughs> and I can't get around those problems. So it's like I'm spending a lot of time figuring out the middle and the outline it helps even. to have written it, though. Maybe. It just kind of seems like a, a risk in terms of how I feel about it. Because if I write the 10,000 words and I stop, I'm probably going to stop for a lot longer than if I can just figure out the outline and then I can write 30,000 words. I mean, probably. sometimes those questions... I don't know if you're spontaneous when you're writing as I am, but sometimes the scene kind of just organically flows in a different direction than I was expecting. And I'm like, okay, well, if that's where this is going, then I can, it answers the questions I had already because I just started writing and it developed in a certain way. I'm less spontaneous because I want things to, to go in the way I originally want it to. I don't want it to veer off and I get something completely different. So I make sure... <laughs> I plan Alex things and they stick the to it. the ultimate planner here. I mean, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're the lazy bums who just kind of write as we can. And that can work. I just don't find it works for me because I get dissatisfied with what I get. Well, even when I'm trying to, like, do the outline, even outlining the middle can be difficult for me. It I'm is. Like, All right. We need to do this. And we need to do this here. Like, there there needs to be some kind of other conflict to carry you through, you know, to get to the end. That's why you see a lot of books with two story threads. Or yeah. a lot of it or with two story threads. Epic fantasy with, like, 30 threads. Well, yeah. But, you know, most most Dresden books have at least two threads going at once. A lot of television shows have multiple threads, like multiple main characters doing completely different things. So you essentially have two episodes or two books that are just merged together that tie up in the end. And then you have to make sure that they actually are interacting with each other, because if they're completely separate, then you have the risk of caring about one and not caring about the other. Right. Unless unless it's designed to be a collision course. 
then you can have <laughs> as long as then you have to write it to where you can see the uh, the lines head, heading towards each other in the distance. Yeah, and I think that that gets easier if they are are like interacting, but just from afar. Like character in story one does a thing, and that down the line affects another character, and they're like interacting slightly, and they're gonna collide because of that. I think right. it's better than if they're just completely separate, but they're like gonna go to the same place. Mm. See, I just finished reading uh, Stone Wilder, which is one of the side books in the Malazan series by the other author guy. And there are three or four different storylines. And one of them, I didn't understand. It wasn't boring, but I just didn't understand how it related to the entire rest of the story. It never collided, but like it was important. But you didn't find out it was important until the very end where they explained why that entire storyline existed. But as a reader, you're following along with something that you're not really Or you you can cheat like our resident expert Daniel H. Wilson have like six individual stories that are happening in parallel with each other. Why not? Fun. Oh well, yeah, I'm just saying, like there are there are ways around this besides actually, you know, doing the work. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you guys actually get yourself through the middle? I'm well. I tend to founder when I haven't planned ahead, so So planning? Planning usually helps. I mean that's where I mean there that's where I, I tend to leave most of my go back and do X notes. Like you know, probably half of my rewrites are in the middle of any book. <laughs> like, because, you know, the the beginning is easy-er, the ending is easy-er, and so, you you know, so the the middle tends to be really light when I, on my first drafts. So that's why I, I go back and do most of the filling. I mean, it sounds obvious, but making sure your characters always have something they should be doing helps you kick. Because if you know what your character's going to do next, then there's really no reason to stop. Right. It's the Book of Mark approach to, to writing. <laughs> Which is why I think I have the most trouble with Carlin's story, because there's a lot of downtime for my characters, and I don't know what to do with them. Yeah. And also proactivity issues. Well, that's part of it, yeah. Yeah, because they're always waiting I have to go do something, things. and then you get there, and like, I have to wait. And then... <laughs> Then hopefully you end on, I have to go do something. I have to wait. <laughs> like, you had issues with that story. Yes, the first draft was rough. Now, if you, if you could work in a joke about how it always seems like it's hurry up and wait for the main character, <laughs> then it could be pretty funny. <laughs> like this internal running, mo I, I don't know, like your tense voice, first or third or whatever, but this internal running monologue of, oh, son of a bitch. Having to wait again, like the, like him getting stuck in traffic, <laughs> like every time he like goes to leave somewhere, he gets stuck in traffic or something. I did enjoy the uh, snub and changes when he mentions it sounds like this plot of a bad book. Right. Or uh, in Rick and Morty, where they're like, no, if this were you know a story, they would have cut out the the stair walking part. <laughs> Which is a very good uh, 
piece of advice, I think, because I don't like the travel. It's where I've stopped in a few books. It's just like, I don't like traveling and being described the thing and nothing is actually happening of importance. Nothing you, is actually did changing. Did you ever make it through Eye of the World? Uh, Eye of the World... I the world I made it through, but I, that's where I stopped. Because that book was them walking to a lot of places. Yeah. And then I realized like it's going to be more walking and more characters. Yeah. More I mean, I find it interesting. I love the series, but yeah, there's a lot of walking and riding and, and boat and riding. It can be okay. Like travel can be interesting, but you have to be talking about things where things are happening. Mm-hmm. When it's just travel for the sake of travel. Right. Which is what happened in the <coughs> Assassin's Apprentice books. It's like, I can't. Oh, <laughs> my God. The, did you finish the series? I forget. No. The last one was 30,000 words longer than it had to be. And he did so much fucking walking. Yeah. And that's just that's, like, I can't do it. Yeah. that Nothing's happening. My biggest complaint with that book is so much walking. Yeah. It's. Oh. Most people are like, oh, it worked in Lord of the Rings. There's a lot of traveling in there, but that's about the journey. You know, even though they're traveling a lot, there's a lot going on. So it's more about like the journey to Mordor, not the travel to Mordor. Yeah, they, I I haven't read Lord of the Rings because I'm kind of afraid of the travel being described. And uh, there's kind of more importance. It like of... 300 pages before they even leave the Shire. Right. I mean, I don't... I mean, it's been a long time since I've read the Lord of the Rings books, but I don't ever remember a lot of traveling in the books. Like, it, it never seemed tedious to me. Well, yeah, even just in the movies, they were describing, like, the, still the, in the Shire, but in the farm, and Sam's afraid of, like, going further than he's ever been. Like, like that kind of stuff can get really boring in a book. Yeah, but it's Peter Sam Jackson. Wise. I mean, come on. <laughs> Peter Jackson loves to throw in filler. I mean, look at the fucking Hobbit trilogy. That's a 200-page book. <laughs> There's more minutes in the movies than pages in the book. And, like, I thought the movies were, the Lord of the Rings movies were really well done for the amount of course material he had mm-hmm. to work with. You didn't have to do the same thing with The Hobbit. Right, yeah. but each book had, I mean, granted, they were long movies, but... I never I mean, saw the them, bo- but... Lord of the Rings books are not small books no and to pare it down as I, much as he did while still remaining relatively true to the story is right well done the hobbit the love story the yeah, yeah. that's so, taking what could have been a nice quick middle to get you from point a to point b enjoyably and then just stretching it out way too far yeah so the point of i guess this uh tangent is still slightly on topic is in the middle is where you're going to lose a lot of people if you do it badly. Don't make it longer than you have to. Yeah, and don't make it full of filler that they recognize as unimportant or that you can't keep engaging, at least. I swear that's epic fantasy's biggest problem is this determination that books have to be this long, so there has to yeah. be this much in the middle. Yeah, and probably things that irritate people and make them stop is also the bad romances that like this is going to take up space this is going to be activity uh, probably very annoying activity and therefore they just kind of meh meh that's the sound effect yeah that's probably one reason i'm not like super into like big time fantasy there's just too much crap in it yeah the first so 
we were talking, the first Lord of the Rings book was uh, about 500 pages. So, yeah, 300 th- or three hour movie. It was? Not, yeah. I mean, that's a pretty good sized book. You know, it's what, about mm-hmm. 150,000 words, give or take. Yeah, that's a decent sized fantasy novel. I've been too much epic fantasy. <laughs> decent. Decent sized. Man, I feel like a scrub here. I'm like, man, 300 pages. It's about time to wrap this fucker up. I was just going to say, I finished reading Stonewilder, which was like 630 pages. And I'm like, wow, that was a quick read. <laughs> yeah. And then you was... get into like, like, you know, Game of Thrones or whatever, which are unbelievably long. That is a lot of filler. Yeah. So which, how again... do you avoid the filler problem? Don't introduce more plot lines than you need. Cut out the bullshit that is unneeded. Skip the romance. No one's interested. Some romances can be fun, especially when they cause actual conflict. Those are not because people are being stupid. Exactly. Like Susan Rodriguez makes sense because it develops so many other Mm -hmm. storylines. Also, very organically storyline. Susan is the catalyst for the storyline for the first what, like twelve books of that series, essentially. Yeah. Uh, Because it's the predication of the entire war. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then there's changes and dealing with the aftermath of changes. Right. So that gets you through 13 books. Well, 14 is also affected by that because of the deals he made in changes. Though the romance didn't, the war didn't start until book three. Yeah, but then, you know, he had to get to the point of realizing he loved her, which was hard for him. But you know, yes, that was true. a romance that was important. And At one point in Grave Peril, he said, I've never said I loved someone that I didn't lose. And it's still true. He said he loved her and he lost her. He's not said it to Murphy yet. One day he will. And then it'll all go sideways. <laughs> yeah. Uh, At some point, I sort of expect Murphy to become immortal. <laughs> Something she, like that. I mean, she's... The Valkyrie to... option yeah, is really fun. thank you. Trying to say, but okay. So this isn't Justin. This isn't Justin. Right. Romances so, can work, but don't pigeonhole a romance in because you feel like it should be there. That's just going to drag out the story. Yeah. Right. I mean, building in real conflict is a good thing. Like so, a lot of times when I'm outlining and planning, I'm trying to f- figure out how to make more lines of conflict because that's basically more plot lines, but with direct things that need to happen or are happening. So, like, either characters are being stuck into new positions that are bad, <laughs> or something like catastrophic will happen. Like, a, if you have, like, a natural disaster that's just going to, like, shove it in there, it can be kind of shoehorned, <laughs> but it will cause problems, you know? Make real problems that they have to deal with, not fake problems out of people's stupidity. I don't know, I've got some books that are basically just the entire story of how everyone keeps making the wrong choices. They can still and be entertaining. Only if everyone gets to die in horrible deaths. You know, it's like, at some point you need to strangle people. <laughs> Fair enough. So what else can you do to make sure the middle doesn't get boring? Well, since every story starts in the middle... You know, there's there's no story except for like Genesis, that, you know, starts with literally <laughs> in the beginning. Uh, that doesn't start somewhere a part of some story, right? 
Star Wars starts with the Rebellion and, you know, Dresden, there's a lot of stuff that he talks about before. So maybe yeah. you can, like, in that act two, you can introduce some story threads early that kind of get resolved in the middle. Then you can go to your ending. Yeah, there could be things like that. There's also, like, um, putting the entry point of the story as late as possible so that you have the least amount of distance to get from beginning to end. Like you say, you're already in the middle, but like you really should start your novel right before you're at the middle. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's no reason for anything to be forward. You don't need, you know, down periods of like exposition. Essentially, you can just like right in the middle of all conflict, <laughs> deal with everything, get to the end. <laughs> that can be a way of making it nicer, also cutting down on the word count. Hopefully. Right. Again, y'all with y'all's ability to have extra words. <laughs> uh, another thing. Oh crap! I just lost my. Oh wait. Shit! I just, I had uh, this great epiphany and then I lost it. But keep going. I'll, I'll get back to it eventually. <laughs> okay. Um. Basically, it seems like in the middle you need some sort of sense of progression. Right. In some various ways. That's why that the try-fail cycles can work, because you you try and you fail, you try again, you get a little bit better, but still not great, and then you'd like maybe do a third one, and maybe don't go more than that, because you'll piss people off, probably. <laughs> and if you actually succeed, you have like that, the training montage and and stuff like that. It's always fun to uh, give your readers hope and then dash it. <laughs> of course, most readers should be smart enough to know that you're on page 200 out of a 400 page book and no, this plan is obviously not going to work. Yeah. That's actually one of the things that I stopped in the Assassin's Apprentice book because it was getting interesting. He was at like a party and he's just about to like attack and kill Regal. And I was like, I'm at page 200 out of 500. This isn't going to work. And it's going to be <laughs> another 300 pages of travel. No, <laughs> just no. You if you're going to do something like that, you actually let him succeed or she succeed and then just have the entire back half be like another away. huh the running away the running to... away trying to survive yeah or you know the fallout of the consequences so kind of what george r, r. martin did it's like yeah. this is the main character and the book's only like three quarters over he's not oh yes yes he's oh. dead <laughs> and then he did that again and then again <laughs> Though Rob never had a viewpoint, so that That's should be a true. key. Well, then there's other characters. They don't have viewpoints until book four. Because why not? And then there's characters who don't exist until book five and then don't need to be in the story at all. Yeah. It's a really good idea to cut out everything that isn't necessary. Because <laughs> you're just taxing the reader. Yeah. And, which is something that's a lot of people end up having too much filler, too many, like, oh, this was totally going to be a thing, and then, like, it's not going to go anywhere. You should just cut it out. If there's an aspect of it want to keep, maybe put it into a different storyline, a different conflict, or a different character. A lot of the times when I see uh, people going through their editing process, they talk about, this character was kind of unnecessary but fun, and that character was kind of necessary but boring, and it combined the two of them to make one interesting, necessary character. <laughs> You know, and then like consolidating the plot lines to make a lot of small plot lines into a bigger, important plot line. 
I hope people can follow this. <laughs> if you're bored with your character, your readers are bored with your character. Probably, because the way you treat them is going to be noticeable. Yeah, if you're not ha if you don't like your character, you're not going to write interesting things with that character. Or, I mean, alternatively, you could just hate your character and do terrible things to them, and they can enjoy that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I got dropped there. Oh. Kill um, your characters. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think about, like, a world-building-specific, like, side quest to get you through the metal? Like, something that, like, takes you through the world a little bit more just to, like, you know, introduce the reader to it a bit, you know, get him more involved. But it's got to have a point still. Yeah, I think that can work, for example, if you don't know or the reader doesn't know either what the ending is going to be or how they're going to get there. So it's still, like, you need to travel through the world to get to the position that will enable them to start the ending. Right. Like, for example, literal traveling or getting uh, more power, more position, something like that. Right. Well, a good, I mean, I was kind of thinking about it. a good example of it was the, um, like the Death Star scene in A New Hope, which is really sort of act two there. And so you learn a lot about the Empire, about Vader, that kind <laughs> of thing about the abilities of the space station, you know, the fact that there's people living there. And so there's this big world-building section in the middle that gets them from, um, you know, Tatooine to Yavin 4. And also explains the stakes of everything. Right. And, like... how, and how they ended up finding where Yavin is to create the tension for the end. Yeah. And then there's the... Like one or two lines where they talk about how the emperors dissolve the Senate and stuff. Oh, that's at the like, very beginning. Is that the very beginning? Yeah, that's that's. Um, I thought that was when they were standing on the, all in the conference room on the Death Star. Well, yeah, but that's that's when they, after they've captured Princess Leia. So it might be middle-ish. It just it's an earlier it's earlier than what okay. I was talking about. But like it's a couple words, but it build it does so much world building in ten seconds of talking. Right. Without having to show you everything. Yeah. See, it's efficient and that's why it makes it more interesting. Being efficient with um how much words it takes to get something across can make things more interesting because you're not letting it be boring. Right. And you know, the uh, this is a good example of starting too soon. So in Star Wars, they have this 10 second or whatever 10 word thing of, you know, the Emperor is dissolved the Senate. And then you realize that, um, you know, George Lucas spent three movies showing you how the Senate gets dissolved, and they're terrible. <laughs> Uh, and then we don't even need to talk about Last Jedi. <laughs> yeah, that thing was terrible. Oh, so bad. It's been a month, so we can spoil things. Finn's story is the perfect example of what not to do in the middle. We have a character. <laughs> it was meaningless. What do we do with him? I don't know. Like, well, that's it, how it, you do world building 
quests bad. Terrible romance, stupid characters acting stupid for stupid reasons, and everything being pointless and progress just meaningless. I still don't understand the concept of they're cloaked. We ran a decloaking and found them. What the hell is the point of cloaking? (laughs) But yes, that storyline was boring, gaudy, and just very, very, very poorly done. Yeah, and they had that whole like bit on the the casino planet or whatever, and like, what's going on here? Like, oh, and okay, the kid's a Jedi, and hope, and I don't know, it was just boring. Yeah, I mean, that that movie suffered from middle movie syndrome. Yeah. Like, even if you're writing a trilogy, your second book can't be all middle. Because you see that all the time. It's still a novel. It's still one story. Right. But it's got to be the middle, but also not, um, you know. There still needs to be a end goal that is reached. Yeah. Right. I mean, obvious example is Dresden <laughs> is that there's going to be at least 23 books, right? But each individual book is not just middle. Mm. Well, and there was, you know, the whole story arc in, like, Empire about, you know, because that was a full story arc. Yeah, its pacing was a bit wonky, but, you know, there was a bit... Obvious beginning, middle, tension, you know, is Luke going to turn to the dark side, yes or no kind of thing. And then sort of the resolve, but that also looks forward to the next movie of, hey, we're going to go get these bastards or whatever. Like Luke wants to save his friends. He's semi-successful. Now he's going to go save the rest of them. Right. But it also builds with Han being frozen and, you know, him knowing... No, he doesn't find out until Jedi that Leia's his sister. Yeah, but that's kind of where they also hinted at it. Um, mm-hmm. And the, I guess kind of the important thing is that it's the middle. It's like the second act, so they end at a bad point. They have the obvious right. thing of what they're trying to resolve. But even the, the second act had three acts in it, you know? Yeah. They just end badly. So, I mean, I guess if you think of, like, the tension as a line throughout a, a storyline, is that it's perfectly okay for the middle to just get worse and worse and worse, and then try to make it all better at the end. Yeah, there's actually a graph for that, and I, I've been trying to remember this entire time. I remember seeing it somewhere about how, in a three-act structure, how the pacing and things should go, and it's a very much a, most of the second act is supposed to be a dip in the third act as a is a big swing up so it's like first act is swing up second is swing down and third is swing back up yeah, like I, mean, I know where i saw it i'm just cannot for the life i actually of think me. it's on trello scroll down because <laughs> i think you posted it a long long time ago uh maybe i did um yeah but um if you put it as a graph then you can just you know you can have a happy beginning and then worse middle and then a happy ending, or you can just, everything gets worse and has everything's like a downward line, um, or you can kind of go upwards and then be happy things or anything in between. But if it's predictable or like you can see the pattern of it, of it, it starts at an okay point and then it gets worse. Then the obvious 
thing towards the end that the reader's expecting is things to get better. And conversely, with things get really good in the middle, you're also expecting things to get worse at the end. And if everything's a mix of the two, like if you have multiple plot lines and some are getting worse and some are getting better, that's probably the best, in my humble opinion. Oh, come on. You're like, things start bad, things get worse, and then they end bad. There has to be some happy points in order to make the worst points worse, you know? Like... Now that I'm thinking about it, Empire really doesn't have any, too many up moments. It does not. (laughs) (laughs) Like, even the training sequences are not the cheeriest of scenes. But, I mean, it's okay for things to have happy moments. It's okay for things to have lulls. It just, you have to balance how much that is. Because if you do too much back-to-back, then you kind of have this exhaustion state for the reader. And it's okay to have a lull to let them prepare for the next part. Right. And a good example of sort of that exhaustive state is uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Like... That thing is 100 miles an hour the whole time, and by the end of it, you're just tired. But there are (laughs) points when they're just in the truck and traveling where things get slow for a little bit. They're just trying to get to the the end. Like, there's a couple moments where, like, pretty much everyone's asleep, and it's just Max and Furiosa chatting for a minute about heavy things, but still, they're just chatting. They're not being attacked yet. Pacing doesn't mean that you have to have the gas pressed the entire time. Yes. It's okay to let them prepare for the next time where they have to accelerate to 100. I mean, characters need to deal with things, too. And if they're not, then they're not realistic. Yeah, yeah there's, um, I just remember watching Jim Butcher actually talk about writing, and he was saying that the like, scene sequel kind of structure to it, of like, you have something happening, you have the characters dealing with the aftermath. And then they immediately go to another thing happening, dealing with the aftermath. And his best example was A New Hope. Because, like, there's the Death Star stuff, and then there's dealing with after the Death Star and Obi-Wan's dead. And then there's immediately they're getting attacked again, and then they're dealing with that. Did I lose you guys? No, we're no, here. I'm Sorry. Thinking. I was trying to... F- I'm still trying to find this the one thing I actually... <laughs> wanted to post because what I posted on Trello a long time ago wasn't exactly what I was looking for. Mm. But it does have the graphs though. Yeah. And that's definitely one thing Butcher does well. Things there tends to sequels. be very heavy moments after the action. Yeah. I mean at some a lot of times when you're in an emergency, you're not really processing what's happening and then you actually like get more scared afterwards, more freaked out when you're actually processing the emotions. Same thing happens to readers and characters. Which is why after changes we had an entire book of the sequel. Yeah. What a minor actual plot line. Hey, some of those plot lines were important. True. We get Harry back from the dead. Ah, oh, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's one thing that the, all these graphs that kind of don't really describe is like 
moral ambiguity. For example, I started watching um, the show The Fall on Netflix. It's got Gillian Anderson in it and that guy from Fifty Shades of Grey, and it's really, really good. But for some reason, I can never figure out if I want the good guy to win, the bad guy to win. It's like it's impossible for you to to know what I want to happen. I'm just kind of sitting there watching it, like because like they show him the bad guy as being a really messed up person, but he still get pissed off when his life is falling apart. <laughs> it's like I I can't explain it, and I don't know if that's really being shown on any form of graph because like. Am I supposed to be happy that his life is falling apart instead of pissed off, or what? I think it's a sign of a good character, right? Like, even though he's the bad guy, you're still invested in him? It, yes. It was a very, very well-done show. I highly recommend it. Fucking hate that teenager, though. If you watch the show, you'll get it. <laughs> Teenager's fucking terrible in a good way. Like, I'd happily strangle her. Okay. And that's how you're supposed to feel? I think so. Because no matter what, no matter everything that she did has to be kind of viewed as like, why the fuck would you do that? You're a terrible person. But you're just being terrible to a terrible person as well. Right? You don't know how to feel. <laughs> it was great. I don't know. <laughs> and there's one thing that it did is that it actually... It tied up. It had three seasons, and it ended where it was supposed to. It didn't try to prolong it, which is something that I think a lot of series can fall into, is that they keep having the middle extending and extending and extending, and there is no ending, which a lot of TV shows fall into, but several book series I know of yeah. also did as well. That's, um, well, especially in terms of TV, that's a big difference between British, how British and American TV television runs, where most British television is like, look, we're going to do this number of episodes, period. Where the U.S. is, hey, if it's a hit, we're going to keep you going for as long as possible. <laughs> Thank God for things like Netflix now that can just make the shows they want to make and be done with it yeah that's one thing i'm really happy with netflix lately is that they no, it's done stop it and they just they went with that they, like why done. do they need to bring the office back because well why did they need to go nine seasons in the first place but well yeah uh well one thing i've read is they they're having hollywood in general is having a hard time putting out shows that last a long time now <laughs> You know, it seemed like every show used to go like seven or eight years all the time, but now they don't. So they're having syndication issues, and that's where like the bread and butter is for most television shows. That's why they milk these shows for as long as humanly possible now. Which is how you get the middle syndrome. Yeah. Is that the actual name for it? Because it should be. I don't know. <laughs> it is now, it. motherfucker. Yes. <laughs> That, that totally desperate desire to make it keep going. Which it's is... okay for your book to be 100,000 words if that's how long it took to get there. Right, and that's that's something that it took me a while to get to, but it's the, you know what, just let it end. So what, you miss your word mark by five or 10,000 words. It's better than trying to throw in 10,000 words of filler. Yeah, because it's noticeable when things are filler and people don't like it. 
Wheel of Time had that. There's a couple books in the middle that are infamous for being like, why is this still going? And I, I'm sure that people who don't plan can write good books or series or whatever. But I feel like if you you have the plan, like this is the story from start to finish, and maybe you need to expand a little bit in the middle, but you still have the progression of getting to the ending where it's going to stop. <laughs> yeah, the it, last one that Jordan wrote was really good because it started to show all the signs of this is starting to wrap up. We're heading towards the end game now. It's like, okay, this is much more entertaining now that we know we're getting yeah, the, to where we want to go. A sense of progression is really needed. You can have diversions, especially in like a mystery thing of like, oh, that was really promising. Turns out that he's not actually the bad guy. And we have to go start again, try another route. That can happen. It can be fine. The sense of progression is needed though. Right. It's even though it's a even though it's a red herring, it needs to be, you know, on the checklist. Yeah. And the character probably learned something from it. Mm-hmm. They're a suspect, so Yeah. It's still an avenue that needs to be, you know, run down. Things like that. It's just if you're never ending I have actually stopped reading series that I really enjoyed because I knew that nothing was really gonna change. It's like some minor, almost cosmetic change would happen at the end. And then the next book would be the same thing. It's the same formula, and I just couldn't do it anymore. And I feel like this happens more often in some genres than others. Like, it happens in TV shows a lot, but I notice it in (coughs) urban fantasy more than anything else that I read. I don't read a lot of urban fantasy. Hmm. I'm pretty sure this is one of the things that was terrible about the Anita Blake series. Granted, there's a lot of terribleness about that. Because <laughs> like, there would just be a cosmetic change essentially at the end, and the middle was just a bunch of orgies instead of anything having to do with the plot. God, how much you've ranted about that series! I didn't even read it. I couldn't get through the first book. But the, when I was reading what other people are saying about it, it's like, how would you think that that's a good I think idea to do <laughs> as an author? Hey, it's sold, right? <laughs> if it sells, it's a good idea. Eh. I mean, you look at Song Are of Ice and Fire. Are people eating Tide Pods recently? <laughs> yes, yes, that is a thing. Which Some goes to show you. putting them in like plastic containers, like 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 Blu-rays or something, where they have to like take it off. People are stupid. Don't read anything. Listen to us if you want to feel good about what you're writing. Yeah. But We're readers will read anything. Quality. <laughs> I was going to say, like, when you're doing a series, like, don't you take a Song of Ice and Fire where he's introducing what are either complete red herrings or major plot lines in book five out of a seven book series. You really should have already reached your maximum quota of what's going on by then. It's okay for books to go. 10, 15, 20 series longs, so that's fine. Just have something to make the middle progressive and interesting, like Dresden. There's not many series like Dresden that I can think of. No, he's very, very, very good at keeping everything neat and tidy. Yeah. And interesting. And, and interesting. Like, progressing. Yeah. 
now that I'm doing a, a reread, I'm amazed at how many things that he actually introduced as early as he did that mm -hmm. are relevant throughout. Yeah, which is his planning allows us to have the Justin Files podcast because there's enough things to try to dissect. <laughs> <laughs> Where George Martin's word vomit lets people talk about it infinitely, not knowing if any of it's actually relevant. Meaningful. Yeah. Like, oh, and, you know, it's just... Then you have, like, the betting pools of who's going to die next. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and then there's the night lamp theory. Night lamp? It's Stannis is going to lead uh, Ramsay's forces out onto a lake using a tower as a false beacon to lead them out onto the ice and trap them. Right, because Stannis isn't dead yet. But it, it like, draws its evidence from like a few throwaway lines and some general geography that was established and it's like we just need another book because <laughs> there's so much time that anyone in a book series that's as wordy as that one is you can really make any theory and justify it with actual textual evidence yeah, yeah it's the first game of thrones and first harry potter came out within six months of each other <laughs> and she did seven Whereas, books when did uh stormfront come out mm. right around 2000 yeah i think so it's like 2000 2002 somewhere in that range then malison's like 12 years i think 99 to oh no yeah 99 to 2011 he put out 10 full-size books and a couple dozen yeah, full-size meaning like 200,000 words or something like that Damn. Two to three fifty, three ninety two. Holy shit! Uh, yeah. So, Dresden Files, Stormfront, April one, two thousand. And we've 2000. got fifteen books, and two salts side books. Yeah, which briefcases is coming out in June. I'm so excited <laughs> for your podcast. Yeah, because we'll have <laughs> new content. <sighs> Yeah, my my is... I currently have um, Guardian Angels and Other Monsters by Daniel H. Wilson uh, on pre-order. Oh, nice. Comes out in March. Yeah, it's this guy like stuff from like Road Apocalypse and uh, Blackwork Origins. I'm like, all right, new stories. <laughs> this is what happens when you know how to plan the middle. Yeah, you, you can finish things. Get through them. <laughs> and then you like. On the other side, you could run into Sanderson, and he, he writes so much that he just refuses to edit. And he it. <laughs> the only but, person who could possibly write the third book in a trilogy as warm-up to the second book in the trilogy, and then just go, oh, hey, here they are. Is that the order he did it? <laughs> yeah, that's what I read, that he had written, uh, what's this, the third book in the Wax and Wayne series? I, Shadow of Himself, I think. He wrote. He started writing that to get himself in the mindset for the second book. I don't know. And then just okay. finished it, and then went back and did the second one and said to his publisher, "I've got both of them." I had thought that he, because I thought I read a long time ago, but only once, just like him saying. So I started writing this book. It took a little while, but I'm really excited about it. P.S. I wrote the next book too. And it's just like, I thought he did them in order, but if he did them backwards, that's also pretty interesting. I think that's what I read, that he kind of... I don't know why you would start writing the third book to get you back in the mindset for the second book. I mean... Mm, I, but this is Sanderson. 
maybe he knew where he wanted to go, but didn't know how to get yeah, there. That makes so sense. So he just started writing it and started filling in like all the stuff that needed to happen in the third one. So he's like, oh, well, now I have my outline for the second one. All the things that need to happen. <laughs> I feel like if I did that, I would end up writing the second book instead of the third book. You know, just like I progress with where I started. I left off at. I, I don't think I could write so, out of order. I mean, if you know where you're going, it really makes the middle easy because yes. it has to go this way. I just don't think that my brain can work writing I out of order. Don't think like, most people's brains can work the way Sanderson's does. That's a good point. <laughs> it depends on the structure if I can do it out of order or not. I feel like you're really possibly handicapping what your second book could be. Yes. Yes. But if you're Sanderson, where your ideas are like already completely crystallized in your head, I don't even know if he outlines. I think he just instantly knows the entire story. He has story. some amount of an outline. He talks about it in Easy. his lectures. Okay. He has the, the events outlined, but then he... Um, discovery writes his characters, which will sometimes lead to him changing his outline. Then how the but... hell can he write his third book first? Exactly. <laughs> and that's just what I remember him saying, but I also don't understand how you discover your characters, because I have to have that figured out first. I just have, need things to... I need to know before I can let things go and run free. His website has a section under the books tab called, Where Do I Start? <laughs> Yeah. I have never seen that on a writer's page. No, that makes sense. It, it makes sense. It's just, what? There's there's one thing about, like, the Vlad Talcho series by Stephen Bruce. He wrote that series out of order just based on whatever he wants, but he knows where in time they all happen and keeps track of that. And that... once in a while, he has a book that's in multiple different parts of the storyline. Interesting shit. Like, that's what I have with, I think it's the Witcher series. It's hard to know where to start because I don't think he wrote them in chronological order. So, like, if you read it chronologically, you're not reading it in publication order yeah. whatsoever. And in situations like that, as a reader, I suggest doing it in order of publication because yeah. that's the amount, the order that he explained the concepts. True. Which mm. is what I suggest, at least for the first time going through the Vlad Talcho series. Right. Because he's going to explain um, the magic system in book one, even though it's chronologically book five. Uh, for the Narnia books, you can get them in like, some of them will come like completely bound, like every book together, because they're not all that long. And you can get two versions, chronological or publication date, and they, they're really different. Publication like, date, at least yeah, at books, first. Like, books four and five are really like, <laughs> or books one and two, if you go by like, uh, like, chronologically in the you know in the in-universe calendar one of my favorite pastimes when i was younger was to do rereads of the redwall series in publication order and then chronological order because those are wildly different <laughs> which I feel like this doesn't really apply to things, or it doesn't apply as much for people like, say, Sanderson, where they have the slant world or slant universe. It's like you can read Mistborn out of order, or not not, not Mistborn the series, but you can like do Mistborn and then Stormlight and then Elantris, because they're mildly connected, but not directly so. Yeah, I feel like Stormlight's the one that is going to sort of 
expand the universe because all the other ones relate to each other. But Mistborn's the or uh, Stormlight seems to be the one that's going to yeah, resolve some of the. But um, I, I force Anderson. I suggest going in order publication because then, as you're yeah. reading, he'll get better as a writer, and then you won't go backwards and then be disappointed in his writing ability. <laughs> Because he didn't like editing. No one yeah. does. I mean, if, if you're uh, going to listen to the Dresden file, start at the beginning. Because if you start in the middle where Marsters is a much better reader than he is at the beginning. Even though I loved how he read Stormfront. I know a lot of people hate it, but I loved it. No, it's still pretty good. Because he did the character pretty well. It's just, they got more funding oh, yeah. somewhere around book four. Yeah, because that's... <laughs> Because he had put out three bestsellers, and so... Yeah, it's like, okay, he, we're actually going to care about this. And somewhere around there, they switched to a different like, <laughs> Penguin or Random House or something like that. Mm. Like, he gets picked up by a bigger publisher. How did they get Marsters to begin with? Luck. <laughs> I don't know. Was, this, was that before Buffy? Was that before he that was That can't Buffy? have... I, God, no. I thought Buffy is older than that. It is. I thought Buffy was in the 2000s. I know it was in the 2000s, but... Buffy started in 97, is that what this is? 97 to 2001. So he was already established. Well, maybe he was bored. Maybe he really liked the book. was like, hey. Yeah, maybe. Whatever it is, we lucked out. (laughs) But (laughs) do we have more to say about the middle? Because I think we're avoiding it again. It's, I don't know, man. You just got to do it. It's it's almost, it's almost preferable to just have the beginning and the end and squish them together than it is to have a bad middle. Well, I think one of the keys to writing a good middle is to make sure you don't, your reader doesn't think I'm sitting in the middle here reading the middle. Well, yeah, but even... I don't, I think I would disagree with that statement. Because, you know, even the middle, like, you know you're building towards the end, but you're not there yet. You know, because a good middle answers the question of how does he, how does the person get there? Or how does the team or whatever, you know, the, I don't know, maybe it's just because I watch way too many movies and TV (laughs) and stuff and read books and crap. But, like, you know, it's, it's, you can feel it. You're like, okay, we're through the first act. Let's see how they bridge and then, you know, finish up. I feel like if you're thinking that the reader doesn't have enough of your attention. So if the reader can recognize the first and second, third act while reading, not a very good second act. Good thing. Yeah. It's maybe one of the reasons I don't like the three act structure, at least as a concept of, I don't find it helpful because I don't want it to be apparent. I don't know. If for me, it's like I, when they get to the, that point where it's obvious that it's time for the journey to begin or whatever, it's, you know, a good story. You get excited about the journey or the middle, you know. Okay, obviously they're going to have to fight the Empire at the end, but getting there is should be an exciting proposition, not just waiting to get there. Yes. Yeah, the middle it still has proactivity progression, things that are engaging and things that are like going up and down in terms of conflict and resolutions and all of that. 
and you know in order to basically have the less of the middle as possible having the beginning as late as possible so you have less middle time i think is a good idea for a lot of people and, and i think another and i'm guilty of this is why i'm bringing it up but another thing that is a something you can do is you don't have to put all the character world building in the first 100 pages. It's okay for people to be confused. It really is. Right. And so, you know, that's something like I want everyone to understand who this person is right away. But if you look at a lot of the really great characters, they don't really develop. They're not really fully developed until they get to the end. You know, you know, like Han Solo, you know, we know he's a smuggler. He's a terrible person who doesn't pay his debts to Jabba. You know, and then, you know, we don't see his true form as, you know, loyal to his friends and everything else until the very end of A New Hope. So, you know, you're learning about this character all the way through the entire movie. And you also see that with a lot of book. Well, you don't see you don't see that happen a lot, but you should see it more and you should do it more. It's, more, it's harder to pull off in books. It's harder to pull off in books. But, you know, that's that's my issues. I just like, all right, let's do everything all at the beginning and then story. And I'm like, no. <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> nice to see. That's called an info dump. Yeah, I, I know. And I'm like, I, I can't tell you how many things I've just like either put into like different folders or whatever. <laughs> uh, granted, I've started using this online software <laughs> that's sort of like Scrivener Lite, but free and on the Internet. And so now I can like create they have scenes that are movable and stuff and that's have been helpful, but I'm so bad about just wanting to put everything in there right away. That's something I fight. I just fight hard against like, it is just bad for me. <laughs> I've gotten a lot better, but I still struggle. Hashtag struggle is real. Hashtag 2018 resolutions, whatever. I was going to say characters overcoming character flaws tends to be a good thing right it's the it's the true metal right it shows their true metal when yeah. they overcome a flaw and how they overcome it it's not just they overcame it's how they overcome came what's the plural on that no mystery men fans out there oh sad I'm sure there's people laughing as they listen. Yeah. I, I hope so. <laughs> well, uh, if you had to sum up all of this advice that we've given, how would you do it? Just don't suck. <laughs> That's pretty much how all of our advice. I was going to say, like... just do it well. Yeah. Don't suck. Because like, a... as we always say, you can do anything you want as long as you do it well. Your your book could be all middle, and if you do it well, it'll work. I've never seen it done well. I feel like the key to the middle is to just always keep it relevant. Yeah. Don't it, it, go it, off on tangents that you don't need you to. You always need to be looking towards the horizon in the middle. Like, yeah. the horizon is always in the distance, but you should always be looking at it. There can be as many obstacles in the way of getting to the end as long as you're always heading towards the end. And you can get lost in those obstacles, but you have to come up every once in a while and 
you know, see where you're going and how it relates. Yeah, don't suck. Good advice. <laughs> uh, okay, you can find us at uh, brokenjars.xyz uh, on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash brokenjars. We have all sorts of cool rewards and things. Um, this is something we should also do at the very beginning of the show instead of the end because no one ever listens to the end yeah. of a podcast. <laughs> That's why I don't want to do it in the beginning. I don't want to force people to listen to this. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jacob Ingles. Um, I think High Fantasy is a Twitter that never happens. Yeah, once in a while I think about it and not much happens. Um, I think I'm on, I know I'm on Instagram, but I think it's it's either at Prairie Penguin or at Prairie underscore Penguin. Uh, if you want to see my, my Insta, which is just generally a lot of guinea pigs. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, podcast. Uh, uh, podcast. You can find Director Alex on uh, the Dresden Files podcast. You can't find Colin anywhere else because he's a lazy bastard. Uh, you can find me on the Great Scott podcast if you would like to, you know, check out The Office. And we just finished up season six, so we're going into season seven. So we have a big back catalog if you want to check out all of our, you know, if you want to check out the good seasons of The Office. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, now you're uh, you can email us at brokenjarsbroadcasting at gmail.com. Uh, yeah, uh, so uh, thanks for coming out. If you would like a topic, we would, we're more than happy to take submissions. <laughs> we would love to hear, like, we would love to not have to think of a topic. Yeah. I, I kid you not, listeners. Every week we're like, okay, we need to figure out our next topic so we can tell the listeners what to look forward to, and we never do. I mean, if we're due in the middle, we could try to think about the end, but I have very little experience about it because I get stuck in the middle. I mean, we can just talk about endings that are great. And endings that suck. Yeah. And endings that suck. Do another bitching episode, essentially. <laughs> Some of us have positive things to say. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, well, there's there's endings that are good, there's endings that are bad, and there's endings that are weird, right? There's endings that just went somewhere completely unexpected. And then there's books that won't end, like fucking the last four Harry Potter books. She's like, just shut the fuck up already. But that's a that's another show. <laughs> so thanks for coming out. Uh, we will see all of y'all next time. Hopefully in two weeks. In two weeks. Bye.